0: Good morning, Hope Elam. Good morning. Name's John, one of the pastors here. It's just an honor to share God's word with you this morning. Let us become more aware of his presence. We come to worship with a lot of different expectations. I don't know what your expectations were this morning. Sometimes we come to church, you know, because it's good for the kids. Never mind us, we drop the kids off. Sunday school, right? Sometimes it's because of tradition, it's just what we do, and our expectation is that it's going to be the same old, same old. Sometimes we come to worship with the expectation of maybe connecting with some friends, and that's, that's good, that's right, that's really good. Sometimes we come with the expectation of uh, breakfast that some of you enjoyed this morning, or that's just what we do, or maybe you're here this morning and your parents drug you here, and you're, ah, whatever it is. Let us become more aware of your presence In other words, he's already here, and our job is to become more aware of the fact, right? Of the fact that the spirit of the living God is in this place this morning, and we might need to adjust our expectations accordingly, amen? I don't know why you came. But this is why we exist as a church, whether that you waved your hand and it's your first time here, whether you're checking things out, whether you've been here for a while. To be a shadow of a doubt why we exist as a church is so that you would experience the person of Jesus Christ in a very real and powerful way and that you would be captivated by him. To the way where you would build your life on him as we just sung about. That you would put your faith in him. That is why we exist as a church. Now, It might be helpful if we dug into that a little bit because there's a really important question behind that, and it's this, who is Jesus? (laughs) Who is Jesus to you? I mean, if we went out and did a person-on-the-street interview around the Drake neighborhood, around the city of Des Moines, and we we went around with a microphone and just asked a hundred different people, who is Jesus to you? We might get a hundred different answers. Maybe some similar answers that are a little bit more biblical than others, but some interesting answers, Right? oh he 's a, he's a good teacher he a He's a good prophet, you know He was a messenger. He was a good religious guy. you know he, Jesus did some good things. he had some really good things to say and loving things to say, you know things I could you know quote on my Instagram feed. you know J- Jesus was a really good guy in that way. Who is Jesus, but maybe more importantly. Who is Jesus to you? Not the person sitting next to you, not your parents, not what you grew up with, not your church upbringing, but right now, here today, is it real for you? Who is Jesus to you? If you think about it, that might be one of the most important questions that you and I are ever asked. Because depending on your response to that question, everything hangs in the balance. Christianity hangs in the balance this morning based on our answer to that question. Who is Jesus? Well, it just turns out that that is the primary objective of the book of Colossians that we're going to be diving into today, and I'm so excited. Anybody else a fan of Colossians? Give a little shout out if you like Colossians. Okay, (laughs) Awesome. 12 of you. Well, this is going to be great. The rest of you are going to be big fans of Colossians by by the end of the day. It's it's awesome. We're continuing a series called God's Electric Power Company. And if you've been around the last several weeks, you know that it's not just the title of the series, but it's actually an acronym for these four books of the Bible that we've been walking through. And see if you can do it from memory, okay? These are four New Testament books. G-E-P-C. Let's see if we can do it together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Good job. You got it. Just a nice, easy way of remembering that. These are four letters that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to these churches that not all of them he personally was at. He never personally went to Colossae that we're going to read about today, but he equipped other church planters, and now he is writing letters to them. Colossians is a little book. Uh, It's only four chapters long, so if you're looking for a book to read, read Colossians. Four chapters long towards the end of the New Testament, and again, it's written by Paul to the church in Colossae between about 60 and 62 AD. Now, you might be sitting there saying, that's great, that's awesome, thanks for those facts, Pastor John. Why should I care about Colossians? First of all, I love Colossians. I always love prepping for sermons, but this week I was like... Oh man, this is so much fun. I, not always easy, but man, I love Colossians. Number one reason you should care about Colossians is if you care about knowing who Jesus really is, like who he really is, not who we think he should be, or not who you've been told that He is, but who Jesus really is. Second reason you should care about Colossians is I believe that Colossians gives us a clear-cut answer to two big existential questions that I believe that every single one of us is asking whether we realize it or not. And by existential, I mean like bigger than us. That we need, the answer doesn't come from inside us, it comes from outside of us. And these are big questions to life. Number one, who am I? And number two, why am I here? One is a question of identity, and one is a question of purpose. And if you don't walk out of here this morning with a crystal clear answer to those two questions, then that is a reason why you should care about Colossians today. It is so straightforward. It's right there in the text for us. So the primary goal of Colossians, four chapters, 95 verses, one purpose, is to answer the question, who is Jesus? And Paul's answer to that is he wants to show us the goal of Colossians is to show the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Everybody say supremacy. Supremacy. Everybody say sufficiency. It's kind of a mouthful isn't it it's kind of hard to say right supremacy meaning the greatness of Jesus if you see anything this morning if you hear anything this morning I don't want you walking out of here going wow that was a killer worship set right that was awesome by the way praise God for our worship team they are awesome and they are amazing okay and they're great but it pales in comparison to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the one that we worship. He is supreme over everything and the sufficiency of Jesus, meaning Jesus is more than enough for you today. That is Paul's goal in Colossians. Supremacy and sufficiency. Colossians was written so you could see Jesus for who he really is and be captivated by him. But you would walk out this morning going, Jesus is so incredible. I can't get enough of him. Man, this cannot be limited to an hour on Sunday morning. It just can't be. You can't read a book like this in Colossians and say, I did my religious thing for the week. It's so much bigger than that. Amen? So let's dive in. We're going to attempt to do a sermon on the entire book of Colossians in about 25 minutes. So, We'll get there. We're going to bounce around a lot, so stay with me, but we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, go ahead and take that out. Colossians chapter 1, okay? So the church in Colossae is planted. They're doing well. Uh, Paul's commending them here in the first chapter that they're loving God well. They're loving each other well. And then dun, 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 crisis strikes, okay? There are some false Teachers in Colossae. There are some issues going down, just like every church. There is no perfect church because it's full of imperfect people. Amen? Just like this one, just like Colossae. But we have to understand the issues that are facing Paul here so that we understand the why of what Paul is writing, why he writes it the way that he does. There was a threat, there was some false teaching going on. You kind of break it down, there's a lot here, but you could kind of break it into two major categories. One, there was folks known as Judaizers. Essentially, they were Jews that had not converted to being followers of Jesus yet, and they were saying, "Jesus is great, but in order to stand right before God or achieve salvation, it's Jesus plus circumcision." It's Jesus plus your good works. It's Jesus plus following some of the Torah, the Old Testament law, and that is what makes you righteous. That's what can earn salvation. We spent a lot of time talking about that in Galatians and Ephesians. Jesus, it's Jesus alone, amen? Jesus alone is sufficient. So they they were trying to tell them that no, Jesus wasn't enough. But the second group that I want to focus on today is people that were preaching something called Gnosticism, Gnostics, and they were Gnostics, and there's a lot here, but essentially the Gnostics were preaching two main things and kind of perverting the pure gospel. The first thing they were teaching is that they were kind of going after the deity of Jesus, that somehow Jesus wasn't actually fully God. There's like God And then Jesus is down here somewhere in the hierarchy of the angels, so much so that they would worship Jesus sometimes, and they would worship this other God, and then they would worship this angel, and all of that. And you might be asking, why does that matter today? Like, that's not what we believe, but here's the thing. I believe that the temptation for all of us today is to think, well, you know, as long as I'm spiritual, (laughs) hear a lot of people saying, I'm really spiritual, but I'm not that interested in Jesus. It's okay as long as you're spiritual. I mean, I'm, I'm religious, but Jesus is a good guy, but, but I'm going to mix in some other religions. Syncretism is the word for that, where you take different religious systems and you kind of blend them together to make your own. And this was what was happening in Colossae. You know, and there was, we, we have the temptation to do this as well, to say I'll take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit about some other things, but it's not like Jesus is above any of those others. I'll just kind of mix them in. You hear people say, like, you do you, and I'll do me, and I'll do whatever's right for me, and you do whatever's right for you. You find your truth. The problem is there is the truth, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Colossians, <laughs> Colossians doesn't leave that up to us. It can't be this and that, and I'll take a little bit of Jesus, and you do your thing, that's not an option according to God's word. The second thing that the Gnostics were preaching is this, is that there is some sort of secret knowledge in the universe, and somehow God only gave that to a select few people. We have this the, the, the secret knowledge. It'd be like if all of us here, that are, the hundreds that are here this morning, like 5% of you had the secret sauce. Like there's something that you know about Jesus and how the world works and how the universe functions that the rest of us don't know, and you are extra special and you are kind of holier than thou better. This is what they were preaching, that there's mysteries about Jesus that somehow aren't Jesus isn't enough, but some people knew more than others that are too high and lofty for the average believer. Some of you are like saying, well, that's not my thing. I would never get into that. Anybody remember the book, The Da Vinci Code? Okay, remember that? It was a while ago now, right? How do I know that people are still interested in secrets and mysteries of the faith? At its peak, that book sold 80 plus million copies in the United States. So don't tell me that people are interested in the 10 secrets to this, or the secret knowledge to that, or the mysteries of that. And Dan Brown, the author, claimed that somehow God had given Dan Brown the secrets that we couldn't get from the Bible, that Jesus had these relationships and all the secrets about Christ that somehow are not in the Bible. And again, I'm not just going after that book. The bigger danger here is that if we are not being formed by Jesus, if we're not intentionally being formed by Jesus, we are unintentionally being formed by anything else. And that could be false teaching, that could be heresy in the first century, or that could be cable news. Or that could be whatever pops up when you spend hours scrolling. And you don't realize whatever's washing over you, and you're being formed by it. Paul is saying, this is serious. And so as soon as Paul hears about this, he goes right at it. I love how the Colossians starts this way, with a bunch of niceties and grace and peace to you, and I've been called to to be an apostle and all of this, and you're doing a great job. Now can we get down to business? That's what Paul says, okay? And he goes right after these false teachings with three main Ideas. We're going to break them down one at a time. Number one, this. Jesus is everything. Let's say that together. Jesus is everything. Paul says Jesus is not some emanation of God. He's not lesser than. He's not in the mix with the angels. Jesus is fully God. It goes right after it. Chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus says multiple times in the Gospels, if you've seen me, then you've seen God. Then you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us what God is like. Jesus is fully God, not less than. Paul continues, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Okay, it's not like God created the world and then Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working as one God in the Trinity in three persons present at creation. Amen? So that's what he's saying. Now, I love verse 16. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. And then he lands on this. I love this last verse. Let's read it nice and loud right here in the yellow, starting with everything. Everything was created through him and for him. Everything was created through him and for him. And if I could be so bold, that short little verse right there is the answer to those two existential questions that every single one of us lives our entire lives seeking to answer. There is an answer there about identity and there is an answer there about purpose. Look at it again. Everything that includes you and me, everything was created through him. Meaning God created you and for him. Let, let's break it down and make it a little bit more personal. Larry, you were created by him and for him. Put, put your name in there. Tammy, you were created by him and for him. Let that sink in a second. We run around so much of our lives trying to figure out, who am I? And I'm going to go find myself. And I'm, 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 I'm looking for myself. W- were you lost? Or why are you looking for yourself, right? The answer is right here. You were created by him, meaning you are a child of God. Before anybody else gets to say anything about you, God gets the first word about you. Amen? So whatever whatever perception of yourself that you have this morning, because you were created by God, that means you have inherent value and worth. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are a child of God. You are valuable. You have infinite value because God created you. And not only that, but you were created through him and for him. For a purpose. God has the first word on you, the last word on you, and has given you a purpose. Now, we all have different gifts and skills. For some of us, it's singing. For some of us, it's clearly not singing. For some of us, it might be teaching or accounting or or a medical profession or construction or whatever it is. And we all have different gifts and skills and natural abilities and those are great. And those are specific to you. But if you are wondering what your purpose is, it is that whatever you do, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God, that whatever you do, it shines a light, and that people would look at your life, even if you don't think it's a spiritual thing at all. If you sit in a cubicle all day and you're like, I'm having no impact for the kingdom of God. Your job is to do whatever you do in his name for his purpose to shine a light that other people would say, wow, God is amazing. You have a light inside of you. And you're called to shine that in a dark world so that others would go, Jesus is great. Jesus is amazing. I want to hang out with this person more because they shine a light on Jesus. And some people spend their entire lives trying to figure out who they are and what their purpose is. And what I'm saying is, it's right there in front of us. Now, here's the danger. If we don't get those two big questions answered of who am I and why am I here, we'll just run around and we'll hop from relationship to relationship and we'll hop from job to job (laughs) trying to get that need met and we've never answered the question of who am i and you still don't believe that you're a son or daughter if you don't have that foundation to your life don't go any further you were created by him and for him. Paul continues in verse 17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Verse 18, Christ is the head of the church and his, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus is everything. Say that together. Jesus is everything. Why? Because he was the first one out of hell. The first one out of the grave. The first one to defeat death. Right? And so because of that... Whatever happened to Jesus happens to you. And so when he dies, your old self dies. And when he rises, you rise. And anybody that's put their faith in Jesus, he brings with them into this new position that we are in. That's why Jesus gets the supremacy in all things. He is the greatest. And if that wasn't enough, look at verse 19. Paul's just like swinging like a left uppercut and a right hook and all of that. All of that. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So think about what the Gnostics were preaching, okay? This is Paul going to the Gnostics like. This is like a soccer punch, right? With the word, of the word of God right there. And then he continues, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So not only did Jesus create you, not only is he sustaining you, he rescued you and purchased you at a price of his blood, his life on the cross. And not only that, he's literally holding you together right now. And that's the beauty of who Jesus is. You can come and be a part of this church family and you can come and sit here and you can have all the different opinions you want about Jesus, about God, about Christianity, about the church. And whether you're bitter, angry, you've had church hurt, whatever your background is, it's boring, it's irrelevant, whatever it is, it doesn't change the fact that you have breath in your lungs today and that is only because of Jesus Christ. Okay? It doesn't change that. So you can, <laughs> you can believe whatever you want about Jesus, but his spirit is the literal breath in your lungs that is keeping you alive right now, that is keeping me alive right now, okay? He's literally holding you together. And if you want proof of this, some of you have heard this before, but I, it's just too good. You can't preach Colossians and not talk about laminin. Have you ever heard about laminin? Raise your hand. Three of you. Awesome. Great. Uh, okay. I am so excited to tell you about laminin. I know you got up this morning, and you're like, I got to hear about laminin. Okay? I'm guessing there's no molecular biologists uh, in our congregation here, but if there is, you would know this, Okay, that laminin is the cell adhesion molecule. What does that mean? Laminin is the thing that tells your cells what to do. I'm guessing none of us woke up this morning and went, man, I got I to hold this whole thing together. Come on, come on, cells, do your work. No, you didn't, right? You're like, I got to get my coffee and get to church, okay? That's because God's literally holding you together. So laminin is the cell adhesion molecule. Essentially, you've heard of rebar, like in the construction industry. It's, it's, it's the thing that, that you pour the cement over, it's the steel beams that hold everything together. Laminin is the rebar of the human body. It is literally the glue that is holding your cells together. Some of you are like, what is this dude talking about? Why should I care about laminin? Because under a microscope, magnify it a thousand times. This is what laminin looks like inside of your body. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that the cross of Jesus Christ is literally the thing that is holding you together. It's like God saying, fingerprint, fingerprint in the most intimate part of who you are. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't like the church. Jesus says, laminin, baby. (laughs) Deal with it, right? In the most loving way, right? Verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Of course he does. He's literally holding you together, amen? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not just a coincidence. He is everything. He's holding it all together. That's argument number one. Jesus is everything. Everything. Second argument that Paul makes is this. Jesus is everything, but secondly, hang with me. Everything that Jesus is, he is in you. Are you tracking with me? Everything that we just talked about, everything Jesus is, he is in you. You you have to think about that for a second, but there's so much power in that statement. Paul continues in chapter 1, verse 27. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you, Gentiles, too. Meaning for all of us. And this is the secret. In other translations, he says this is the mystery. Why would Paul use that language of secret and mystery? This is where context is helpful. Who's Paul writing to? People that are being brainwashed by... Gnosticism, there's secrets, there's a secret knowledge, there's a mystery. And Paul goes, you want to know the secret of all secrets? You want to know the higher knowledge of all knowledge? You want to know the mystery of all mysteries? Right here, Christ lives in you. That is the greatest news of all greatest news. All of God is in Christ and all of Christ is in you no, I don't think you got it. All of God is in Christ and all of Christ is in you. If that doesn't make your brain go, I don't know what does, right? Think about that. He's literally in you. It's not like you have to go find him. You don't have to go looking for him. If you feel far away from God, he's not the one that left. He's been there the whole time. He's been there the whole time. It got me thinking this week. I am on a terrible streak recently. This is like first world problems, I'll admit. But I am on a terrible streak recently of losing my phone. Is anybody with me in this? I have like a 10-second memory, okay? I literally just set my phone down different place. It's like an appendage of your body sometimes, isn't it? And you feel weird without it. And so I set it down. 10 seconds later, I'm like, Honey, where's my phone? I can't find it anywhere. Like, she's like, you are a hot mess. And I'm like, yes, I am a hot mess, right? I, I, I set it down. Ever done this? I'm literally getting ready to leave and I'm rushed and I'm on the phone with somebody and I'm running around trying to make sure I got my bag and everything. And I'm like, honey, I can't find my phone. And she just looks at me the other day, normally I I put it in my back right pocket. That's where I always have it. And for some reason, I guess I didn't check there. I'm looking all over the house for it. And Tiffany goes, have you checked your pocket? And I go, yes, I've checked my pocket because it's right there because it's been there because it's been there the entire time. No, I don't think you got it. Let me say it again. Because it's been there the entire time. Do you know that the one who is peace, the one who is joy, the one who is love, the one who is hope, lives in you? He's been there the whole time. You, you don't have to go looking for him. He's been there the whole time. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we, we, we forget how close he is we got to remember that all of God in Christ, all of Christ in me, that's the hope of glory. My hope doesn't come from me being able to do it. It is Christ in and through me. Why does Paul spend so much time talking about who Jesus is and what he's done? I mean, that's like the first two chapters of Colossians. Chapters 3 and 4 are more our response to that. Maybe this will be a helpful illustration. If you go to the next slide, I think about a tree, think about the root system of a tree. Essentially, this is the structure of the gospel. It's also the structure of the book of Colossians. Essentially, Paul spends all this time saying, this is who God is. If we don't know who Jesus is, let's not go any further, okay? So who who God is, then what God has done. He's created you. He's holding you together. He's redeemed you by his blood. He's purchased your life on the cross. He rose from the grave for you. All of that, Then we get to who we are. Because of what Jesus has done, that's who we are. We are rescued. We are free. We are adopted. We are sons and daughters. And because of that, then we talk about what we do. It's the root system that then leads to the trunk of what God has done. You could think of the branches as who we are. And then the natural overflow is leaves or fruit. That's what we do. The problem is, is that often you and I flip that. And we base Christianity on what we do. And that somehow, if I can perform and do all these things, then that tells me who I am. This is why Jesus got so frustrated with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. Because it had become all about producing fruit without the root system. Our identity as followers of Jesus always informs our activity as followers of Jesus. Not the other way around. So remember your roots system. I don't know about you, but (laughs) this last week, like when I get stressed, when I get angry, when I can't sleep because I'm full of fear, when I'm jealous, if I feel pride creeping up in me, you know what's happened? I've forgotten my roots. Because here's the danger, we become the hero of our own story. And we are not the hero of our own story. His name is Jesus, and he's done that for us. And so if I remember who God is and what he's done, then all of a sudden, I realize that perfect love casts out all fear. I realize that, as Pastor, or Minister Body said last week, that I don't have to worry about anything. I can pray about everything. That I'm never going to be more significant than I am under the cross of Jesus Christ, that I'm a son or daughter of the king. I've forgotten my roots, and maybe sometimes you do as well. The gospel is from the roots up. This is who we are. Also, this is the structure of the class called Alpha that we do here at Hope Elam. It's been done over in 125 different countries or probably more all over the world. It's been done in churches and colleges and prisons and schools and coffee shops, you name it. Every church denomination, every background, it is orthodox Christianity and it attacks some of those same questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? Who is Jesus? How do I read the Bible? How do I pray? If you wrestle with any of those questions and you're like, I would love to just sit down with a group of people and and have a safe place to ask those questions and not be judged, Alpha might be for you. If you're stuck in your faith, Alpha might be for you. If you're like, I'd really like to meet some other people, we've launched more small groups out of Alpha than any other method in this church is because you get to know each other. You have a meal together, you worship together, you hear a short teaching, and then you get to discuss in a safe atmosphere and explore those questions. If you're stuck in your faith, maybe your small group is a little stuck. Maybe you're looking around at your small group or maybe you're looking around and saying, I'd like to get in a small group, but church people are just weird. (laughs) Well, we weren't weird until you got here, so I'm just saying, okay? (laughs) Maybe we're all a little weird, but it doesn't change the fact that you were created to be known. And we live in an epidemic of loneliness. What would it look like for you to take that next step And ask some of those questions and get in community and check out Alpha. Number one, Jesus is everything. Number two, everything Jesus is is in you. The third major argument that Paul has in the book of Colossians is this. Jesus changes everything. Amen? Jesus changes everything. Now we're getting into chapters three and four, okay? Here's the thing. The message of Colossians, you take all three of those key arguments that Paul makes and you put them together. It's this. Jesus is in you changing everything. You could even put me, substitute me for you right there. Let's say that together. Jesus is in me changing everything. Jesus is in me changing everything. So often you and I focus on what we've been saved from, and rightly so. But when's the last time you asked, what have I been saved for? What have I been saved for? What's the purpose of my life? What does Jesus want to do in me? Colossians reminds us that as you put your faith in Jesus, his intention is to do a total extreme life makeover on you. Amen? An extreme makeover on your life from the inside out. His purpose for your life is that you would look more and more like Jesus every single day. The purpose of Jesus' purpose for your life is not for you to be comfortable. Maybe that's what you grew up in. Well, I've got my pew, and I see you. A lot of you sit in the same spot every week, right? <laughs> you got your own traditions, right? And that's awesome. But here's what's not awesome, is when we think that our comfort is more important than our obedience. You were created to be formed by Jesus, and sometimes if, we're the, if he's the potter and we're the clay and he gets that chisel out, it's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. But that is the purpose of your life, to have an extreme makeover. Anybody watch HGTV or those extreme makeover shows? Anybody out there? You can admit it. That's fine. Our family does that all the time, right? What's the big extreme makeover home edition or whatever? This is extreme makeover Colossians edition, okay? And the reason I say that is this, is they have that moment of like, move that bus. Isn't that what they say, right? Like, this is what the house was. This is what... is now, right? That's what Jesus wants to do from the inside out in your life, okay? Now, go ahead and go to the next slide. We get to Colossians chapter 3, and you might recognize that verse. It's our memory verse for the month of August that all of you have memorized, right? And here's the thing. I think some of us look at a verse like that, and we go, whew, that is a lot to live up to. That, ooh, man, that's I I don't always act like that. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, not last week. That's a lot to live up to. We've forgotten our roots, because you're starting with the fruit, and you forgot your roots. That list is not a prescriptive list of here's all the things that I need to do to earn God's love or to be a good Christian. Instead, that list is descriptive of a life that's planted like a tree that's planted by streams of water, Psalm 1 says, and in season bears its fruit. That is the natural overflow of a life rooted in Jesus. Amen? It is descriptive rather than prescriptive. Don't forget your roots. And I don't know, maybe, I, maybe this is just for me. Maybe is for somebody. You can change. People can change. It might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. It might mean that you might lose some friends. It might mean that you have to draw up some boundaries with your family. It might mean that you got to get uncomfortable. You can change. Not by your own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is hope. You can change. Your ex-spouse can change. You can, your kids can change. That friend that you're angry at, they can change. Your heart can change. Root yourself in the love of Jesus Christ. And then Paul sums it all up in this beautiful summary statement in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is Paul saying? Jesus is now the lens that I see everything through. It's not like I'm gonna sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in with everybody else's opinion. No, Jesus is my entire vetting process for my schedule, for my priorities, for my habits, for my decisions. Everything that I do is in his name. It's for him. I don't have a spiritual life and a regular life. I have a life and it is in Jesus. Amen? I have one life. It's rooted in him. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Is Jesus a hobby for you or is he your identity? Because a hobby is something you do when it's convenient and when you have time. An identity is a reality that you step into every single day. You don't take off the hat and put on another hat. You are who you are wherever you go. And we are in a season of back to school, friends. We're in a season of of new people going to new schools or going off to college or maybe job changes or looking for a new job for yourself. We're in in a season where families are making new routines and schedules and all of that. And I know we're right there with you. Like we're in that season of, of shuttling our kids around and okay, what do we have this week? What am I missing now? Like we're right there with you. And I just want to challenge you as you look at your fall. Have you asked God what your priorities should be? Or are you just charging into the next season and go, well, everybody else is busy, so I guess I'll be busy. Sometime I want somebody to come up to me and say, hey, John, how you doing? Keeping busy? And, and I, my response is, nope. No, I actually have good boundaries and a really nice rhythm, and I'm finding rest in Jesus every day. What if you responded that way to somebody? They'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you freaking out like the rest of the world? Why aren't you insanely busy? Because I'm in Jesus. And because he's in me. And I'm not perfect, but I'm learning to say no to things so that I can say yes to the best. And my primary job this fall is not to do what everybody else is doing. My primary job is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And to be formed by him. Okay? What, what, is the, what does that mean? That might, I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say, as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. Maybe it starts on rally weekend, September 10th, and the following Wednesday, September 13th, all of our youth and family ministry kicks off. The most loving thing that you could do for your kids this fall is not burn them out with activities. It's to point them to Jesus. It's to bring them to church. It's it's to to point them to something that's going to last, okay? So what would it look like for you to put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to worship regularly. We're going to come on Rally Sunday. We're going we're to come on Wednesday. We're going to get my kids. We're going to get my students involved. Whatever that is. What does that look like for your family this fall? Last but not least, I could end the sermon right there, and then I look, well, wait a minute. There's this last verse, the very last, book of the entire, last verse of the entire book of Colossians. Chapter 4, verse 18. I, Paul... Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul has written this entire letter about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, most likely his arms chained to the wall of a prison cell. Not at the Ramada. Not at the embassy suites. Chained, writing this, saying, remember my chains. I read that, in this week I just went... There is no circumstance in Paul's life or in your life, even being chained to the wall of a jail cell, that is going to get in the way of God accomplishing his purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. Don't miss that right at the end here. He shows us that through Paul's life. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. And some of you might know, Paul, you're in a jail cell. Paul's not like, no, 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 that's my location. But I've got a position, and my position is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? So I don't, know, I don't know what your location is. I don't know what your circumstances are of what you're surrounded with. But today, Paul says, the hope is not in what's around you. The hope is what's in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. That changes everything. (laughs) There's something way deeper about you than your circumstance. It's about your position. Jesus is in you changing everything. What does that mean for you this fall? What does it mean to let Jesus be Lord over every part of your life to put him first. Above and beyond any other priority, any other agenda, any other opinion that anybody has. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for us as a church and for you as an individual. And because he is so great, he deserves all the honor and all the praise and all the glory and all the worship. Amen. Let's stand together wherever you're at and let's sing together about a Jesus whose name is above every other name. Let's sing together.